Amen. We'll do that video after the preaching. Okay. Afterwards, yeah. Okay. Okay, it's time for me to come to Scripture. Very simply today, this is about the birth of Jesus the Messiah. I'm going to go to Matthew 1. Let me come to the middle a bit so I can see you all better. Lord, help us as we turn to your word now. Holy Spirit, inspire us. We want to hear more than a story, a narrative. We want to hear truth that shapes our hearts, confirms us in our most holy faith in you, Lord Jesus. Stir our hearts, Holy Spirit, to believe the truth. Not just admire it, not just give it, cause it to put a smile on our face, but to believe the truth from the very depth of our beings. Amen. So Matthew chapter 1, after Matthew started with a genealogy, a descendants list of Jesus, he then gives us the facts of the birth of Jesus, and Luke gives us more, but we're not going to go there today. I'm not going to do a comparative Bible study with you. Here we go, Matthew 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, engagement was serious then, it was, it was a betrothal, it was more than a promise to marry, they were in one sense legally married, but they, they didn't consume, consummate the marriage until later with full, full ceremony and, and so on. It was discovered before they came together, you get that? Before they came together, that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. The main point of this passage from Matthew is the supernatural conception and birth of Jesus Messiah and his mission. Because it's wrapped up in those two names. Emmanuel, he's God with us. And Jesus, God says, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is born of a virgin, literally born of a virgin. While some argue the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah could mean just a young woman, the Gospel writers, Matthew, Luke particularly, don't interpret the, uh, the Scripture that way. They tell us quite plainly, this girl did not know a man until after her son Jesus was born. Bible scholars estimate that Mary was probably in her teens at this time. She may have been as young as 14. Whereas Joseph was a man... Now, 
in the language of those days, a man was when you were 30. You were a full-grown, mature man. He wasn't a young man. Young man goes from teens to the ends of your 20s in Hebrew thinking. But Joseph was a man. He was 30, at least. And the Messiah was born of the Virgin Mary. Matthew's testimony tells us that exactly what Isaiah predicted was literally fulfilled through Mary. To deny that is to defy plain scripture. It's to be a Bible unbeliever. Every historical creed of the church states we believe he was born of the Virgin Mary. You can't really believe the gospel of Jesus and deny his virgin conception and birth. Let me tell you a bit about the later lives of Joseph and Mary. Scripture shows very clearly, though the Roman Catholic Church denies it, that Joseph and Mary then had further children together. Mary had other sons, including Joseph, or Joseph, James, Judas, and Simon. There were daughters as well, but they are not named. Matthew and Mark give us those references. James, the brother of Jesus, later became the leader of the Jerusalem church and was probably the author of the letter that carries his name towards the end of our Bibles. Joseph, we don't read of Joseph again after Jesus reaches manhood. We assume that he died before or around that time. But we all owe a great debt to Joseph, a righteous man who obeyed the Lord when the Lord of the word of the Lord came to him and married his pregnant fiance and adopted and raised Jesus. Joseph was a very good man. As for Mary, Mary did not uh, remain a virgin. She was, she was a wife, she was a mother. She wasn't translated to heaven. She became a disciple of Jesus. If you look through the Gospels, you can see the process of her moving from being mother to being believer and follower. She was at the cross when her son died. Just as Simeon had prophesied when Jesus was, 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 uh, was uh, circumcised, a sword will pierce your soul also. Imagine what it was like for a mother to see her son crucified. A sword piercing her soul. And John, the youngest disciples, again at the cross, Jesus instructed his youngest disciple, John, that he would now be a son to Mary and treat her as his mother. And uh, church history, church legend says that that's exactly what he did. He took her under his care. And uh, late, in later years, when Jerusalem became very tough because Jerusalem was being overtaken by the Romans, he took her with him to Ephesus, and there she died of old age in Ephesus. And there is a grave in Ephesus, which is traditionally the grave of, quotes, the Virgin Mary. Mary prophesied that all generations would call her blessed, and we do. But we don't worship her and we don't pray to her. But we do give thanks to God for her, honour her as a faithful child of God and the mother of Jesus. Just because I don't agree with what the Catholic says about Mary doesn't make me anti-Mary. She is blessed. She is honourable. But two names are mentioned here as being given to Jesus. But one is a prophetic name and one was his given name, the name that he was known by. The prophetic name is Emmanuel. Means God with us. The child who is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. Behold, the virgin will be with child and she'll bear a son and, they will, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. It's a prophetic name. The eternal God came down and was born a man. Born of, a, born of the virgin. He was held in her arm, arms and suckled at her breast. And we can deal with that human scene, particularly those of us who've had our own children. But there's a huge dimension to this. That was the Holy One. 
the Most High, held in the arms of Mary. We can only grasp that with imagination and faith. This was the appearing in time of the timeless one. In creation, the creator being made man. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God became a man. Emmanuel, God with us. No matter how many ways I say it, I can't get any nearer to defining the truth, really. It defies reason. It's a matter of faith. God dwelt amongst us. God in flesh. We believe in Jesus the Messiah, the man who is God. According to the words of Jesus himself, believing in him and in his deity, his Godness, is the deciding issue of eternal salvation or eternal judgment. Whether you believe in this Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man, is the most important question you will ever face in your life. Not do you take this woman to the, you know, not that one. Or do you want to buy this car, sir? Not that one. Do you believe in Jesus, eternal God-made man? That's the biggest question you can ever be faced with. That's why Jehovah's Witnesses are in great danger, because for all their duty and their piety and their Bible study, they will not accept that Jesus is truly God and yet also truly man, and they defy the claims of Jesus himself. He's both God and man. He's the bridge, the mediator between a fallen human race and the sovereign and holy God. As a man, he's our friend and our brother. He feels with us and for us. He identifies with us in our sin and our foolishness and our weakness. But he's also God with us. As God, he's our Lord, our King, with all authority, with all power. He's the Lord to be honoured and worshipped. He's the King of the universe to be obeyed and feared. He's the righteous judge of the earth, even more qualified by his humanity now since he understands us. You will call his name Jesus. Let's come to Jesus now. Jesus means it's Yeshua, the God who saves us. You will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from his sins. The name of Jesus. Now Jesus is by no means a unique name. In fact, many in the Hispanic world carry the name today. You go to Spain, Mexico, South, Africa, South America, you'll find lots of people for Jesus. And there were people in the Bible called Jesus before Jesus. The one who followed Moses, the leader of Israel, was Joshua, which is the same as Jesus. Jesus. That's why you get a rather confusing scripture in Hebrews that says, Joshua, Jesus, couldn't bring them into the promised land, but another Jesus does. The first Jesus, Joshua, Yehoshua, could not bring people into their inheritance. But at Yehoshua, Jesus brings us into all the promises of God. Jesus is the name of a man and many men have carried it. Yet the New Testament says that in the final reckoning on the last day, all creation, every human being who's ever lived will bow to honour that this Jesus is God. We'll say Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus the Messiah is God to the glory of God the Father. And his name tells us his mission. He's come to save his people from their sins. The name we know him by best, the name that we use and love, the name that is so precious to us, 
even though truthfully we're mispronouncing it because Jesus is a long way from the way it originally sounded. He tells us his mission and his purpose. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus saves his people. Do you understand save? It's like, oh, there's someone drowning. Whoa! Rescue. There's someone about to fall under a car. Grab! Rescue. He saves his people. If you have not been grabbed, if you have not been rescued, if your life has not been changed through an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need, you need to know what being saved is. Saved is not going to church on Sunday. Saved is not having a little religious routine that you do every day. Saved is knowing Jesus has rescued you. It's not putting on Christianity, not putting on Christian you know, routines and habits. It's knowing you were lost, but you're now found. We all know the song, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Another hymn by, by Isaac, by Charles Wesley says, my, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, got up and followed thee. That's what it is to be saved. He saves his people. He came, um, became a man to complete a mission of rescue, to be our saviour. Uh, in fact, in Luke you've got the, the speaking to the, uh, the angels. The angel says to the shepherds, Today a saviour, who is Messiah the Lord, has been born to you in the city of David. A saviour. And when Simeon, the day that Jesus was circum circumcised in the temple, Simeon, an old priest, took him in his arms and praised God and said this, I love this prayer of Simeon, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's only looking at a little baby who's just had his bit cut off. A little baby, it's eight days old. And then Simeon goes, I've seen your salvation. I can go to heaven now. There's a whole heap of history in between. No, no, he's seen it. You've prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. Jesus didn't come to save us from poverty, but from tyranny. He didn't even start a campaign for justice or a resistance movement to the Roman dictatorship. This is what he came to do, folks. He came to save his people from their sins. So that's the next bit. He saves his people where? What? From their sins. Who are his people? Well, not everyone are his people because you've got to believe in him to be one of his people. All that the Father has given him will come to him and all who come to him believe in him and trust him, whether Jew or Gentile. He doesn't save us without faith. My friends, we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Let me spell the whole thing out for you. That's where it is to be saved. Saved merely by the grace of God, not your good efforts, not your record of, of doing well or not doing well. But by grace from God, through faith in Jesus. It's not just faith in God, it's faith in Christ. You can't substitute some other religion for this and say, oh, I'll be saved by that one, I'll be saved by faith in God that way. Jesus himself denies you that opportunity. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Amen. 
faith in Jesus. That makes you one of his people. And he came to save his people, I nearly got into this before, from their sins. Now let me talk about myself for a moment, because I might embarrass you. He didn't come to save me from other people, but to save me from me. From myself. From what I am. From who I am. From what I'm capable of. From what I have done and could do. The root of my problem is within my own nature, my own heart. And we see in the teaching of Jesus in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, how he strikes at the core of our condition. Not just external things, but heart issues. Committing adultery in your heart, murdering someone in your heart. It's on the inside that we are rotten. And that spoils us and spoils our world. We do evil things because we are evil people. We're not good trees with bad fruit hanging on it. We're bad trees producing bad fruit. And the tree needs to change. From the root through. And that's what Jesus came to do. To save his people from their sins. And if you don't acknowledge it's your sins, your actions, your attitudes that put you in opposition to God Almighty, then you will have no part in this. Let me read to you what I could have put in my notes, but it's here. 1 John 1, verse 9 and 10. Lovely scripture. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Oh, I'm all right, I'm fine. You're making him a liar. Jesus' problem was not with sinful people. He spent time with them and they received him. It was with self-righteous people, religious people, who thought they were okay, thank you very much. In fact, in a sense, it was them that crucified him. The good news announced by the angels of the birth of Jesus, the good news which he himself taught, the good news of his death and resurrection, all mean nothing to you if you exclude yourself from the expression sinner. You have no part in them. Oh, I'm not a sinner. Well, this is nothing, nothing to do with you then. Go home. He saves his people from their sins. And for any person to set themselves outside of that equation is extraordinarily bold, outrageously uh, uh, proud. The Apostle Paul wrote of Jesus that he loved me and gave himself for me. In another place he says of himself, I am. He didn't say I was even, he says I am the chief of sinners. Jesus saves his people from their sins. They are saved. They're being saved, and they will be saved. Jesus deals with us as human beings in our past, our now, our present, and our future. And that's where hope comes in. Get into next Sunday sermon just a moment. Hope is faith projected forwards. Believe in God for future grace. Believe in God for future help. I'm not going to see it today, but I will see it because God is good. We are being saved. We are saved. We're being saved. We will be saved by the grace of God through Jesus. Here's a quote from good old J.C. Ryle, great 
the first bishop of Liverpool in the Victorian times. And he's a great evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching scholar. He says, he saves them from the guilt of sin by washing them in his own atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them out of this world to rest with him. And he will save them from all the consequences of sin when he shall give them a glorious body at the last day. That's in the notes and it'll be on the internet if you want to catch it up. Our thoughts today are of Jesus in Mary's womb and then in her arms. But to be our saviour, he first of all had to live a perfect life and keep every one of God's laws, which he did. Until when he turned 30 years of age, when he was a full-grown man in the culture of that time, he was manifested to Israel. He appeared, turned up at the, lake, at the, the, the riverside of Jordan and said to his cousin, cousin, actually, John the Baptist, baptize me. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, no. Yes, you need to do this so I fulfill all righteousness. I do everything that a person would to, 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 to trust God and believe God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted, tried in every way as we are, and yet did not sin. Then he was arrested, tried unjustly, repeatedly, flogged, beaten, and then crucified. The only human being who had ever been acceptable to God the Father, yet in his dying there was placed upon him the sin of the whole world. Scripture says he was made sin for us, or offer, a sin offering for us, who knew no sin. He was the only acceptable human being, and yet because of that, only he could be the acceptable sacrifice for our sins. He entered into death. His body was laid in a tomb. But on the third day, he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit and left behind him an empty grave and empty grave clothes. He was then seen alive by hundreds of witnesses. And he ascended to the Father and he's now at God's right hand. And he is still the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. He's entered into heaven for us and sat down in the throne of Godhead. But he's still the man, Christ Jesus. Where he is now, those who believe in him and trust him, we shall go there too. Into the very presence of our Father. Since his entrance and his acceptance there is like an anchor for us. We've only got to keep hold of the anchor and we will be where he is. That's his promise to us, that where I am there you will be also. He's the Savior, this Son of God and Son of Man, and there is no other Savior. There is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. And if you wish to find forgiveness and freedom from your sins, you've got to come to Him. Not come to me, I can't do it. You come to Him. All spiritual teachers and prophets either point to Him or they're false prophets who detract from him. There can be no middle ground. Only he is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. One more scripture for you. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. There is one God, 
And there's one mediator between God and humanity. And that is nobody alive here on earth at this moment in time. Not mentioning any names. There's one mediator. Christ, Messiah Jesus. Himself, human. Who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. His people are those he saves from their sins. He forgives them. He makes them clean. Remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and Peter, being full of proud pride, said, uh, yeah, don't wash my feet. No, 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 you can't do that kind of thing. It's kind of inverted pride thing. He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Oh, then don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. He said, we are those who are washed by Jesus. The Bible even uses languages through his blood. He has made us clean. He's taken some stuff away from us. He's put it away. It's been washed away. We no longer carry it, wear it, live it anymore. He came to save his people from their sins. He forgives them and makes them clean. They're rescued and restored by the Lord Jesus. They come as sinners and he saves them. He does the saving. It's not that they make themselves acceptable through their own efforts. He saves them. Another part of the language of burner is to snatch a, a, a branch out of the fire. You know, Jesus put his hand right in the fire and snatches us out of the fire. Takes a brave man to do it. You bet, no one braver than Jesus. So it's better to know you're a sinner than to think you're good. And back in the days when we used to knock on doors and try to share the gospel with people, too many weird people do it nowadays, so you're on a back foot before you even start. But the number of people who say, oh, I'm a good person, you think, oh dear, where do I start? In Jesus' time, sinners pressed into him, invited him to supper, whilst religious people condemned his choice of friends. This man associates with sinners, you bet he does. Why? Because he came to save his people from their sins. Jesus told us a story about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One was a sinner, he was a lawbreaker. And he just hit himself on the chest. I won't do it because the microphone will get hurt. God be merciful to me, a sinner, he said. That's all he said. The other one was a religious man. And the religious man, Jesus says, prayed with himself. God, I thank you I'm not like other people. I'm certainly not like him. God, heaven did not hear that prayer. He prayed with himself. The person who thinks or prays that they are quite all right, thank you, will be not saved, but lost. So if you're aware, you're conscious today that you're how unbecoming you are in your lifestyle, your attitude, your actions. Hey, I've got good news for you. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. If you're a sinner, you're qualified to apply. And for Christians, those who are saved and are being saved and will be saved, we don't just remember him at Christmas time, we worship him. Jesus is our saviour, our king and our God. We worship him as our rescuer and our forgiver. We worship him as our master and lord. And we worship him as almighty God, no less God than God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. 
eternal God made man, Jesus the Messiah. And even to this day, Jesus appears in heaven for us and makes intercession and represents us there. You see him in his life saying to Peter, Satan's going to have a real tough go at you, but I've prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. Jesus prays for you, my brother and my sister, that your faith does not fail. In your trials, you might run around asking your friends and your pastor to pray for you. That's fine, we'll do that. But you know who prays for you? Jesus. He saves his people. And that's the message of Christmas. Don't be afraid to take your young wife to yourself. For what is conceived in Israel by the Holy Spirit, she'll give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray together. Okay, tough question, maybe for one or two people here today. Jesus is our Saviour, our King, and our God. Is He yours? Can you say that from your heart, with truth, with sincerity? Not just say it to someone else, but say it to Him. Just say it to Him. Jesus, you are my Saviour, my King. My God. If you came to this morning meeting not able to say that and mean that, why don't you try saying it now? <coughs> Open your heart to him and make that a, as a confession of faith. To he who will save you when you ask him to. Who will cleanse you when you ask him to. Who will forgive you when you ask him to. According to all his faithful promises. Why don't you confess him from your lips as quietly as you like, but do it now. Jesus, you are my saviour. My King, my God. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son. We make it sound easy, but oh, what did heaven feel to see the Son? being enclosed in a womb, being born in a stable. And then, finally, the Son of God nailed to a cross. What did heaven feel? We thank you. You sent him because your mission was very clear. You were going to save the people to yourself from their sins through your Son. And we celebrate it again and again at Christmas time. We'll celebrate it again in Breaking Bread in a few moments. The emblems again of his broken body and shed blood. By which we who are saved, have been saved, are being saved and will be saved. Through faith in the grace of God through Jesus. We thank you and praise you, our Father. Amen. Amen. We're going to break bread in a moment or two. Before that, I'd like to show you this, this video.